Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard tells a little story about a time uh, on Christmas Eve when she was growing up, and things didn't turn out exactly the way her parents intended them. Uh, Apparently, the family had gathered for a wonderful little feast. Sometime later, they carefully placed all of the packages under the Christmas tree. It got to be a little later, and it was getting time for bed. In fact, um, Annie was already in her PJs when suddenly the doorbell rang. Her mother went and opened the door, and there, standing against the darkness of the night, was a fully dressed man looking like the traditional Santa Claus. Red suit, beautiful white trim, black boots, flowing white beard. The mother exclaimed excitedly, well, look who has come to visit little Annie. And with that, the figure in the door boomed out, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, and particularly to little Annie. And with that, the child let out an unholy scream. She bounded up the steps and locked herself behind her bedroom doors. It was a great surprise to the family, not exactly what they had intended. Uh, Each of her parents took turns going up and speaking through the locked door, trying to get her to come out, but to no avail. Her older sister got disgusted with the whole thing and in typical sibling fashion said, this just proves what I have already known. Annie is a stupid, dumb kid. Nothing that they tried worked, and so finally the Santa Claus figure had to turn away, dejected, and go home. The family went to bed that night disappointed. It was, to say the least, a slow beginning to the holidays. (laughs) What was the problem that night? It was something that is really very understandable in our culture, The problem was that Annie had gotten Santa Claus and God all confused in her mind. And truth be told, she was terrified of both of them. Now, where had she gotten those ideas? Well, she was a perceptive child. And remember, little children are very keen observers, but not always great interpreters. They frequently take in more than we are aware But because of their limited experience, they often misinterpret their meaning. They're often very concrete, very literal. Metaphor has not yet become a part of their intellectual repertoire. I heard not long ago about this little girl who received a wonderful little Mickey Mouse watch, and she just loved it. Soon after she got on the bus, this was public transportation, she kept looking at her watch because she was just so proud of it. There was a kindly old man that was sitting next to her who said, that's just such a beautiful watch that you have. And she smiled. He said, does it tell good time? And she said solemnly, no, you have to look at it. (laughs) Which, of course, is quintessential childhood. And that is exactly what had happened to little Annie. She had listened very carefully and quite literally, and she had gotten all kinds of things 
mixed up. For example, she had gone to church and she had listened and she had heard someone stand up one day right where I am standing and read from this big black authoritative book, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And she assumed that that was God setting the bar of acceptability. Another time, she had heard someone read from the very same book, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And from this, she had concluded that this God is an angry perfectionist. She was terrified to get close to such a one. Somehow, Santa Claus had also found his way into the mix. And again, not surprisingly, she too had listened to those songs that we can all sing by heart. You better watch out. You better not cry. Santa Claus is coming. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And from all this, she had come to understand that Santa Claus is the one that you cannot see, but who is always watching you. And even at that early age, she knew that she was far from perfect. And so the thought that this one would come through the door and get close to her just shot terror through her. Now, to be honest, I don't think that Annie's experience that night was really unusual. I cannot tell you how often I have heard people say that in one way or another, the fear of God or guilt was the dominant message that they took away from their religious upbringing. And so, very much like Annie, they have chosen to close the door and to keep that God at a safe distance. And really, who can blame them? If the ultimate one before whom every one of us will stand one day is, as Annie feared, an angry perfectionist, then who of us would feel comfortable with that God walking through our door? It may surprise you that Sigmund Freud once wrote, all human pathology goes back to this single cause, the fear that all love is conditional. In other words, our greatest fear is that what we need most is something that we have to earn all by ourselves and can so easily lose. It is a dreadful thing, is it not, to believe that it all comes down to you when you know that you haven't done it perfectly as everyone sitting here tonight, if we are honest, knows all too well. Well, tonight I want to say to you as clearly as I can that I think Jesus came into the world to address that one ultimate fear. I think if you could look deeply into the meaning of that first Christmas, Jesus came to explode the notion that God is finally an angry judge, an unappeasable perfectionist. No, this little baby grew up to say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened. Come with all of your brokenness, with all of your remorse and regrets, and I will help you towards that perfection, which is not a prerequisite, but rather a promise of what we can do together. 
Jesus came to say that there is something bigger in history than your performance, something older and deeper and much more merciful than what you or I do or fail to do. Jesus came to show us the face of God. And in order to get at that, let me share with you one other story. It came to me at Easter time about another little girl named Annie. This Annie had lost her father when she was very young. Her mother, therefore, had to go back to work. There wasn't much money in the family and even less time. And this particular little girl had her moments of willfulness. She could be just a little bit stubborn. So one day she wanted to do something, and her mother refused to let her do it. And that sent her into a rage. In her anger, that little girl went upstairs. She went into her mother's bedroom and pulled down the one really good dress that her mother owned. Then she took some scissors. And in anger, she cut that garment into pieces and threw it on the floor. Even before she was done, the sacrilege of what she had done struck her. She said to herself, what on earth is my mother going to do when she finds out what I have done with something that was so important to her? And a primordial fear came over her. Like the other little Annie, she went up and locked herself in her room. Hours passed in silence. The sun went down, and it was time for supper. The little girl heard her mother's call as she always did at the end of the day. And so she realized she would have to face her. And so, with fear and trembling, she unlocked the door. She came down the steps with great foreboding. And there, standing in the doorway of the dining room, was the figure of her mother. Behind her, on her chair, she saw something that absolutely broke her heart and then all at the same time mended it. There on her chair was a dress made just for her out of the material that earlier that day she had cut up in anger. Her mother had taken what she had done and made something beautiful out of it. When she saw it, the tears began to flow down her face. She ran and buried her head in her mother's embrace begging for forgiveness. When she looked up in her mother's face, there too she saw the signs of crying. Because when we are destructive, we hurt everyone around us. But deeper than those tear stains was a love that was bigger than all that little girl had done. There was something in her mother bigger than her performance. It was the love that her mother bore for her. That little story, I think, tells the end of what we begin at the first Christmas. When the one who God sent into the world grew up and became a blessing to everyone who he touched. And do you know what we did with him? We cut him up into pieces in a thing called crucifixion. God's best encountered our very worst 
But three days later, another figure appeared in a doorway, this time the door of a tomb. Jesus stitched back together, if you will. And on that face was not the look of vengeance, but the look of everlasting mercy. Standing in that doorway, it was clearer than ever before, there for every one of us to see that there is something bigger than we are in history. There is nothing you could do to make God love you any more than God loves you at this very moment. And since Good Friday, there is nothing you will ever do to make God stop loving you. Jesus came into the world to cast out that fear that sent little Annie up those stairs, locking herself behind closed doors. The ultimate thing is not what you have done or failed to do. The ultimate thing is that love that called each of us out of nothing and into being, that gave us our birth apart from our deserving. He came to show us the face of God. And on that face, he put a smile. If it ever dawns on us who it is this night that is standing at the door knocking, then we can begin to live out the angel's words. Be not afraid. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas.